it truly is a blessing to hear you all talking again. Uh, just don't do it during the sermon. No. This week, we're going to continue looking through uh, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to do the first about two-thirds of uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, and, and this section, Paul talks about the, the, uh, the rapture and the end times. And what we're going to see is that in, in the church in Thessalonica is having this issue of false teaching when it came to the end times. And as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, man, does that sound like right now? You're going to see that there was some fear-mongering going on amongst people in Thessalonica or sending things to Thessalonica that was making the people of this church believe some things that weren't true. And Paul lays out two very clear distinctions to say, listen, this is when you know about the day of the Lord. I want to make a distinction here real quick. There is a difference between the end times and the day of the Lord. The issue that they're having with is when does the day of the Lord come? The day of the Lord being after the end times. I do believe, I will say this personally, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on, I do believe we are living in the end times. Not that the rapture has happened. Not that we are in God's judgment on the earth. If you need to, go back about two months and listen to the sermon where I said, listen, we are not yet living in God's wrath on the earth. That's coming, but not yet. But I do personally believe we are in the end times. Now, the Bible says no man knows the date or the hour, so I'm not going to tell you it's tomorrow. When the, I don't know that. But I do look at the signs and the times and what the Bible says is going to happen, and I go... Dang, we're living close. But I will also say this. For 2,000 some odd years, Christians have been going, we got to be close. Jesus' definition of quickly is not ours. It would be wise to remember that for the rest of your life too. So the day of the Lord. They have some issues with what that is. So that's what we're going to look at today. And, and I want you to, I want to see if you guys can draw some of the same parallels that I drew to what we were dealing with today, especially at the onset of the whole coronavirus thing and some of the um, misinformation that was going around on social media and stuff like that about it. Let's read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It reads, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to, affect the day, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in the, his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. 
For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order, they, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Your note sheet's fairly large this morning. Normally, it's only a half sheet. Today, you get the whole sheet because there was so much information, I couldn't make it fit on only a half sheet. So I went, well, I'll just give them everything, and they can have a whole sheet of paper. So number one here, the problem. Number one, the problem. The problem is there's bad teachings about the day of the Lord and the end times that's going on there. You notice that he says, listen, I don't want you to be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit that is prophecy, somebody giving a prophetic message or prophetic word about it, or a message, somebody coming and just speaking, you know, as I am right now, or a letter. These people were, had apparently gotten letters, the church in Thessalonica had apparently gotten at least one, if not multiple letters, from people pretending to be Paul that were spreading falseness and false teaching. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be shaken about this stuff. I don't want you to be concerned. It's not right now. And the problem is that these people were, had begun to think that because of their present sufferings, it meant the day of the Lord had come. Because they were facing persecution, they were facing death, they were facing hardship far more than we are here, that the day of the Lord had arrived and come. And either they had missed it or they were living in it. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. Now I asked you, where, could you see some parallels? I want to point out something, that when this whole coronavirus thing started, there was a bunch of stuff that went around on Facebook and Twitter and news sites and all that kind of stuff talking about how this is it. This is the end of the world. No, it's not. This isn't even close to the end of the world. Proper theology creates hope. Bad theology creates fear. There was a lot of bad theology going around. And that's what's happening here in Thessalonica. And it had, it had these three things that make it seem, right, that make it seem as though it would be important or true. If somebody comes and says, I have a word from the Lord. He's already come. You ever hear of a cult? It's essentially what it is. But they say, listen, the Holy Spirit told me, here's the thing, church. If somebody, anybody, I don't care if it's me, I don't care if it's your parents, I don't care if it's David Jeremiah, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, pick your favorite televangelist, I don't care who it is. If they come to you and say, the Holy Spirit told me this, you pick up this book and you say, the Holy Spirit told me this, and he doesn't go against it. That's your litmus test. Whenever somebody says anything, your litmus test is this book. Because Jesus, uh, because, uh, Jesus, God breathed it out. These are his words. He doesn't go against it. Or a message. This was probably an eloquent speaker that could make you believe what he or she wants you to believe. They've got energy. They've got passion. And you're going, well, yeah, yeah, that's got to be true, right? Maybe they can support it. Maybe they can take some letters, because they weren't really verses at that time, but letters and stuff out of its context and change some stuff around. And you got to remember that also back then, they didn't have the canon of Scripture as we have it today. So they didn't have quite the litmus test that we do yet. And so maybe this person is speaking, and oh, it's so beautiful, and, and you just, you can't help but believe them. 
I want to put two people in front of you. Forget your political viewpoints right now, okay? But if I put George H.W. Bush and Barack Obama in front of you, who would you rather listen to? And if any of you say George Bush, you're lying. Because Barack Obama is one of the most eloquent speakers I have ever heard. He was charismatic. He was eloquent. He was intelligent. That's the type of person now. I'm not here saying that Barack Obama was the worst thing in the world and he's spreading a false message. But I wanted to show you this idea of what somebody can be and how they can use it. Somebody can use those skills to spread false teaching. And then the third thing, right, is this letter or letters signed from Paul. And they don't have a way to know it wasn't from Paul at that time. Because here's the thing, Paul also didn't write his own letters. So you couldn't compare the handwriting. For most of Paul's letters, he would dictate it. Somebody would write it down as he's dictating it, and then they would send it. If you remember, Paul had massive issues with his eyes from the moment that his eyes were covered with the scale-like things when he sees Jesus the first time there on the road. The rest of his life, he has problems with his eyes. He can't see, so he can't really write. So he would dictate them out. So who knows, maybe he's dictating this out and it's just somebody's handwriting we've never seen before. So there's these things, we, we tend to look at the Bible and stuff and the people in the Bible and go, well, how can they believe that stuff? And then here we are sharing every little thing on Facebook going, well, it's got to be true, right? I see it. It's not. So that's the problem. Number one was the problem. Number two, Paul's teaching. Number two, Paul's teaching. He says, listen, there's two things, two things to keep an eye on. And then you'll know the day of the Lord has come. If these two things have happened... The proverbial defecation has hit the rotary oscillator, okay? You can start freaking out then, but only if these two things have happened, both of them. The first one is apostasy or rebellion. He says the apostasy or the rebellion against God will come. And you'll say, now, pastor, hasn't we always been in rebellion of God? Yes, we have. But the rebellion that he's talking about is something far beyond what we experience today. It's not... Well, I think the Bible's ideas are a little antiquated. It's a direct attack on the scriptures, on God, to say we are against him. If that rebellion hasn't happened yet, and I'm here to tell you, church, it hasn't happened yet, then you know the day of the Lord hasn't come. He spends a little bit more time on the second one, so I'm going to as well. The second one is the coming or the appearance of the lawless man or the Antichrist. That's who he's talking about. He says, there'll be rebellion, and the Antichrist shows up. Now, we don't know a ton about him. We know he's the horseman, he's the horseman riding on the white horse in the first couple judgments in Revelation. We know that he's going to set himself up as God. We know that about three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, he's going to uh, be indwelt by Satan himself. We know a couple of things, but we don't know much. We know he's going to rule over the earth. He will unite the earth under one religion, under one banner, under one currency, and rule the earth for these seven years of the tribulation. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know who he will be. We can make some assumptions. I will tell you what I personally believe. Again, not stuff to die on, but some stuff that I personally believe. One of the things that about him is the Jews look at him as a good person, possibly as the Savior. Therefore, he's got to be Jewish descent. 
because they're not going to look at somebody who's not Jewish as the coming Messiah. So he's got to have Jewish blood in him, right? He's probably going to come from that area of the world, the Middle East, that area. Right, the idea that we have of him of the Left Behind series, which I love, but right, the Nikolai Carpathia, the blonde haired blue eyes guy, it's probably not who it is. You see, we also like to think of Jesus like that, and it's probably not what he looked like. Right, that's our Western idea of it. He's probably an incredibly charismatic speaker because he unites people around one common banner. This is what we know about him. And he says, Paul says, listen, the lawless man is coming. Now, here's the thing, right? He also says, now I know, I understand, this is Paul speaking, that lawlessness is already at work. Because they would have said, well, hang on a second. There's lawless men all over the place. People that, you know, they, they set themselves up as a god or a deity, right? If you remember, the church in Thessalonica is ruled by the Roman Empire. And the Roman emperor set himself up as a god. So he's there, they could sit there and go, well, look at the guy who's on the throne right now. And all of the known world is under his control. Let me say this, all of the known world. There was still a couple more continents that didn't have him ruling over them yet. That's not going to happen with the Antichrist. So Paul says, yes, I understand that lawlessness itself is already at work. But the lawless man is being held back. He's being restrained. And he says, listen, you know what's restraining him. So in typical Paul fashion, he doesn't say what's restraining him. Because he goes, hey, listen, you guys already know. I don't need to write it down. It's the most frustrating thing to me. Paul does that all the time, right? He's always like, you already know it. And I'm like, I don't. Could you write it down? That's why I hate the ending of, uh, uh, oh, my brain just went blank on me. Jonah. It ends with a question. Come on. I'll tell you this. Scholars believe that it's one or possibly both of two things. It doesn't have to be these things that's restraining him, but most scholars believe it is a, either one or a combination of these two things. The first thing is God's church, the spirit indwelling his church, you and I. That makes sense that the church holds back the Antichrist from becoming who he is because here's the thing, the church no longer exists in the tribulation. God takes it away. Hence, the Antichrist can come and set up his kingdom and his rule. It's a good theory. I think it works. I'm not smart enough to dispute it. Good for you. The other theory is, and again it makes sense, is that human government itself restrains the Antichrist from coming. One of the big things about this whole coronavirus thing was, oh, we're living in the end times. See, they're taking away the, the day of the Lord. They're taking away our freedoms and this and that. And here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to tell you. America itself is not yet ready to sacrifice all of its freedoms for one central governor to rule it and make all of the rules. It's not there yet. There are enough people left that would fight it that it won't happen. Now, I will also say this. We are one fairly large step closer to being in that than we were about eight weeks ago. But we're not there yet, and there's other places around the world that aren't ready yet for that. Human government, because right, what happens? The Antichrist comes and he sets up one world 
government, which means the world itself has to be ready for that. Now, I am of the personal belief that the rapture is the final stepping stone for that. Consider millions of people gone. Plane crashes, car accidents, because those people that were piloting those planes, driving those cars, various other things are just gone in the twinkling of an eye. That's the final catalyst to set that up, I believe, because there will be enough fear for everyone to go, we need somebody to rule us. What happened? We need somebody. So I think that's the final catalyst. But we're not there yet. Now, if you ask me, Pastor Sam, what do you believe is the restraint? I think it's a combination of both, because what happens? God takes his church, government is in shambles, and somebody, who knows who, I don't know, somebody steps up and goes, I can lead us. I can lead the world back into prosperity. Think of what the, we, we often think about, and here's the thing, we don't have to think about what the rapture is going to do as much because we won't be here. We're going to be in heaven, right? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, we're in heaven. But here's what the rapture is going to do besides just take away people. It's possible that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people will die as well as a result of the rapture because of the so, the, what I just mentioned, the accidents and stuff like that. The world economy will be thrust into shambles because millions of the workforce will just be gone. Oh, there's a one world currency. Man, that makes a lot of sense. The rapture does more than just take away the church. It sets up the world to be ready for the Antichrist. I don't know who this guy is. If you asked me, Pastor, do you think he's around today? My honest answer is yes. I think he's alive because he is a human. He's not a deity. He's not Satan walking the earth. He's a human man. Why is he a man? Because Jesus was a man. I'm sorry, ladies. You don't get to be the Antichrist. I don't know why that's a bad thing. He's a human man, and yeah, I do believe he walks the earth. He might be one years old. He might be 30. If he's 30, then man, we're, I think we're real close to the rapture. If he's one, we're probably a decent ways away, give or take. But I believe he walks the earth now. Does he know he's the Antichrist? I don't know. Bible doesn't say. But I do believe he walks the earth right now, probably somewhere over in the Middle East. Maybe in some low level of government, getting his feet wet so that he can rise through the ranks. I don't know. But I do know that his rise, whoever it is, their rise to be the Antichrist is restrained. We're told that it is. So we don't have to worry about it yet. So let me ask you these two questions before we go into the third and final point here. And it's the, it's the, it's the, least, uh, the one we're going to spend the least amount of time on. Number one, is there open and strong rebellion against God and against his people? In some countries, yes. Across the world, no. Is there a man who has come and is setting himself up with one world government and ruling over the religion of the world, the governments of the world, and the currency of the world? No, there's not. Therefore, you're not living in the day of the Lord yet. If those two things have not happened, you're not living in the day of the Lord. You're living in the end times, I believe but not the day of the Lord. And you're not dealing in God's wrath yet. In essence, the day of the Lord doesn't come until the Antichrist is revealed, and the Antichrist is not revealed until the restrainer is taken away, whatever that is, whether it be the church or government, or a third thing that we're just not smart enough to figure out. Maybe 
It's as simple as God's got Michael the archangel just like holding him back with a chain. It's like, no, nah, not yet. Not yet. Maybe it's as simple as that. Who knows? We don't. Paul doesn't say because apparently the church in Thessalonica already knew. Okay, so number one was the problem. Number two is Paul's teaching. And then number three, a deluding influence. A deluding influence. Paul says, listen, let me read it to you. Let me find the right, uh, the right, the right spot there. I just lost it. There we go. Verse 11. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. You might say, Pastor, that doesn't sound like a loving God. He forces people to believe what's false. Notice the verses before where he says these people that believe that he sends the deluding influence to have already rejected and denied the love of truth. This diluting influence talks more, right? We talk about in its context. We're talking about the day of the Lord and the tribulation. The diluting influence comes during that. A one world religion set up around the Antichrist. There's some other stuff in there that talks about what the Antichrist will do that we just don't have time for this morning. But recognize that God, yes, sends this diluting influence. And people will be deceived during the tribulation. My dad is somebody, that I, I've talked a lot about, I love, I love Revelation. It's my favorite book of the Bible, always have. It's always intrigued me and fascinated me, the end times, right? And one of the biggest questions about the end times is, can people become Christians during the tribulation? Or does God shut that off? Does God say, you had your chance, you're done? If you believe what Tim LaHaye and... Um, uh, the other one, Jerry B. Jenkins, I think it is, say about, um, about it in, the, in their book series, which of course is fiction, then yes, people can get saved. I kind of look at this verse, and it makes me question, because God says, I send a deluding influence to deceive them. My dad, have, I've had a lot of conversations with my dad about this, and I think I believe what he believes on this. At first, I didn't, but I think I do now. His belief is, if you have heard the truth, you will not become a Christian. God hardens your heart. If you have not, or if you were born during the tribulation, because we believe there will still, you can still have children and stuff. It's a seven-year process of the tribulation itself, and we don't need to fully get into this today, but most people, including myself, believe that the rapture does not signify the beginning of the tribulation. The beginning of the tribulation starts when Israel and the Antichrist sign a seven-year treaty that is talked about. So it could be the rapture, a hundred years, seven-year treaty. I doubt it. I think it's going to be rapture, a couple of months, seven-year treaty. But it could be a large expanse of time. doesn't say it could be. But I believe that those that were born during the tribulation and those that have never heard the truth, and there are people that have not heard of Christ. To this day, there are people who have not heard of Christ will be able to become Christians. So you say, what about the 144,000 Jews? That means there's got to be 144,000 Jews out there that haven't heard Christ. And you know what? It's possible. In fact, probable. We do know he sends this deluding influence that deceives those who have rejected the truth of love. It says it in the verse right before it. Church, I'm not Paul. I'm not nearly as smart as him. I've never seen Jesus face to face. One day I will. 
I hope I don't get scales over my eyes. But I'll say this, just as Paul didn't want his church, and he viewed all of these churches as his church. He, he loved these people, and he viewed them all as his church. He didn't want his church to have problems with the end times. And if you remember, right, in 1 Thessalonians, he says the same thing, and he talks about the rapture. So obviously this church in Thessalonica, he's really confused about this stuff, and he doesn't want them to be. And I say, church, I don't want you to be confused about the end times, about the day of the Lord. And as much as we can know, as much as this book tells us black and white, I want to present it to you, just as Paul presented it to his church. Church, you are not living in the day of the Lord yet. Which means you got to invite as many people to heaven as you can. As many people as can come. Because the day of the Lord hasn't come yet. The Antichrist is being restrained. For how much longer, I don't know. But I know he's being restrained. Which means that your neighbor, your brother, your family, your work colleague, the person down the street from you, the cashier, whatever, can still go to heaven. And it's our job to get them there, right? That's what Paul talks about in the passage before this, in First Thessalonians, in the Second Thessalonians, chapter one. It all plays together. Would you pray with me, Father? We thank you for today. We thank you for the bright sunshine. We thank you for the the warmer weather. We thank you for meeting together to worship you and praise you and glorify and honor you, Father. I want to pray that we would not be confused about the end times. Yes, there's a ton of confusing stuff in there but that the stuff that truly matters, we wouldn't be confused about. Father, I thank you that you give us your word to test spirits, to test messages, to test everything. Father, I pray that we would bring as many people with us as we can, present the gospel as much as we can till the day you come. Father, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.